It's the middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner. And good afternoon. I'm Anthony Weiner, and thank you for meeting me in the middle, an hour every Saturday at 2 o'clock when we take some steps away from the hot takes of the far left and the far right and try to bring some context to the news of the week or maybe a subject that doesn't find its way into the middle of the conversation enough. We've got Diego on the other side of the glass. Ryan taking your calls. After this show at 3 o'clock, between 3 and 4, left versus right with Curtis Liu. We talk about some of the issues going on in the city and around the country, and we also try to get to the bottom of what skateboarders in Philadelphia think they have in mind coming to our city. We're ready to suit up and make our countercharge. This week also, uh, Keys to the City, the podcast that every week comes out where we talk about one particular issue of the week. We get an expert to talk back about it. Good episode this week, the, the idea of increasing the mansion tax. But you really should – they drop on Thursday – this coming Thursday is a crazy one, and it, the subject is one that's right out of the newspapers. We talk about the idea of increasing the use of body cameras for police officers. And what went, what was crazy about it, those of you who are following the podcast, you can get it on the Red Apple Podcast Network, anywhere you get podcasts. What happened was I what I do is I describe an idea that I have, and then we get an expert to talk about it, except in this week – it goes completely haywire when the guest that I have on refuses to talk about the subject and wants to kind of berate me about other things. And kind of like a little bit like, yeah, what about her emails kind of conversation where I want to talk about one thing and he clearly wanted to talk about something else. But he kept saying this thing to me where he kept saying, we'll let the listener decide, we'll let the listener decide. And I started to think about it and we're going to play the interview. And then what I did is I got a second person, another expert in body cameras, arguably someone who is even more expert, and then we had a second conversation. So two episodes are going to drop. I'm calling them 10.0 and 10.1 on Thursday. You might want to tune into that. The first one, I can't tell if it's great radio or a complete train wreck, but I'll let you decide. You can, As you said, you can subscribe on the Red Apple Podcast Network. We also have a great app, or you can always listen to, the, to, to this broadcast on WABCradio.com. Labor Day weekend, I am now a proud member of the union. I'm a member of this SAG-AFTRA. With a gun to my head, I'm not sure I can come up with an AFTRA, as I'm sure Diego could tell me. But I, was, I realized that it's not just because I work here, but also my now famous part in Sharknado 3 made me eligible since I had lines as the NASA administrator in Sharknado 3. That, too, is available. <laughs> I don't know where. That probably is not available anywhere. I think the only person that's seen that is John Katzmatidis and Margo were watching it when they had completely run out of everything else to watch, and he's been giving me a little grief about it ever since. If you'd like to be part of the conversation today, you want to get in the queue, 800-848-9222, 800-848-WABC. An amazing week this week. Um, by the way, tomorrow is your ninth favorite radio host's birthday, so you could – Line up now and wish me my happy birthdays. But also tomorrow, my friend Harry, uh, Allison, Elizabeth Pig. A lot of my friends have birthdays on September 4th. Mike Piazza is September 4th. Who else? Oh, I think Beyonce is September 4th. So uh, a fun weekend this week. I wonder what Jordan is going to do for me tomorrow. If uh, I'm sure it's going to be involve him getting pizza and him playing on his iPad. But I will love every minute of it because any time I spend with him is fun. So a great, exciting week in sports here in New York. Um, the playoff atmosphere out at City Field, I am not going to mention the Yankees because they are just been a dumpster fire, but the Mets played the Dodgers, the best team in the National League, the best two teams played, and it was a, a, an amazing, exciting series. And that second game, uh, L.A. won the first game, uh, the second game with, um, with uh, Jacob deGrom on the mound, pitching great, an amazing catch by Nemo in, in center field, but... You know, we now have this this new thing that um, when um, when our closer comes to the mound, he comes on with walk on music. And if you think about the challenge of making baseball exciting and fun, the biggest gaps in the game right now that you're sitting around are when the guy comes in from the bullpen 
does his warm-ups and starts playing. And you know, there's a lot of discussion about how you make baseball more exciting. Well, it has become one of the most exciting moments at City Field because when our closer comes out, a Puerto Rican guy comes out from center field in Queens. He does it to the music from an, a Mexican show performed by an Australian called Timmy Trumpet. And here's how it sounds. So when Edwin Diaz comes out to the mound, that and I have to tell you, the excitement in the stadium, now admittedly, it was a big series, it was a big game, it was a big moment, but, you know, the way that the Mets, look, look there's a lot of, you know, I bet your callers can, can let us in on some other examples. There are times that sports and music make the perfect relationship, and the excitement at Citi Field is just has just been electric, and when you have a closer like that, it was a little bit like, I mean... What was it? Enter the Sandman that um, that would come on when the Yankees. I don't know what their closer was named. They, they had a closer too. I'm not a Yankee fan, um, but uh, it was really it's really been been remarkable. And then also last night was uh, I guess Serena Williams' last match. Although when she was asked about it, she kind of hemmed and hawed. And I know this is not a conventional position, and I know some people might be upset about this. I found the way that she kind of disrespected her opponent last night. Didn't even congratulate her. I mean, this 29-year-old kid, she was, I, I, you know, she was classy. She did, you know, I, I have, it is hard to think of a more intense home field advantage than anyone had, like Serena had last night. I'm not a huge tennis fan. I used to play in college. I, mean, I don't watch it a great deal. I watch it at moments like this. The place was, every single time Serena touched the ball, they were going crazy. They were cheering first faults by this by her opponent, and I just thought it, it kind of reminded me. I, I don't want again. I don't want to harken back to bad moments. But in 2018, I thought the way Serena handled the being defeated by Naomi Osaka in 2018 was also disgraceful. If you want to go back and look that up, but that's a negative. I don't want to be negative this week. It's a beautiful day outside, a beautiful Labor Day weekend, and we're gonna have a Labor Day episode. But first, let's do the numbers of the week. Each week, I like to go over some numbers in the news. Forty-three. That is the number of empty folders with classified banners that were found at Mar-a-Lago as part of the expanded uh, part of the expanded list that was released as part of this back and forth lawsuits. I have to tell you, I said it last week. I'll say it again. I don't know what Trump's lawyers are thinking. They should just be quiet. Just let if the Justice Department has the deed, let them prove it in court. But all of these filings give the Justice Department more and more opportunities to drip information out that looks terrible for the former president. I'm no big fan of Donald Trump. I've said that a thousand times, but I don't like the way this information is coming out the way it is. And the reason it is, is Trump's lawyers keep inviting it. They keep bringing actions that that allow the Justice Department to respond. Heck, I don't even think Donald Trump should have announced when there was a, a um, when there was a search warrant. It, you know, otherwise. It, it, all of this does is gives the power of the government the ability to dictate what they say is going on. So 43 empty folders with classified banners. I don't know how you justify that. That means something was in them, and now they're not in them, so who knows what that means. 104, 104%. That's how much the landmass represented by Democrats in the House of Representatives expanded this week. Now, how did that happen? Well, we won a race, we being Democrats, won a race in Alaska, and it's one congressperson that represents the entire state, and in and it. If you can visualize the map of the United States, Democrats are much more concentrated in on the coast and around major cities. The big districts that have not a lot of people in them are mainly Republican. So today, with, with now that Alaska is blue, that is a 104% increase in the landmass. We're going to talk a little bit about that race towards the end of the program because it was a fascinating example of ranked choice voting, which has caused a little controversy. Another number eight. That is the number of Russian energy executives that have died under mysterious circumstances this week. It's going to be tough. Number nine has got a lot of pressure on him because number eight, a guy named Ravil Magnov, he died falling out a hospital window. (laughs) 
<laughs> he was he was already. I don't know, Diego. I didn't even know they opened windows in hospitals. You gotta. So that is. I I think that that is indeed a mysterious circumstance. So if you are a Russian energy executive, I would be watching my back for some unusual thing. I think next the ninth guy is going to be um, eaten by a porcupine. I think I read that um, in in Putin's playbook. Three hundred fifteen thousand. That one you may know already. Three hundred fifteen thousand new jobs in August. The the weird dichotomy of economics is, and the way the Fed looks at it, a lot of job creation, too much heat in the market. They may want to do more, um, cause a little more pain, quote unquote, by increasing interest rates. But the economy is doing something it normally doesn't do. Usually, you don't have, usually you you don't think talk about a recession with job increases the way we've had them, and that was a, a good number. Um, and now some numbers about the subject I want to talk about today, and that is um, the environment and one solution on dealing with it. Um, this has been a horrible, horrible time in much of the world. 386 is a number this week. 386 children have died. They are among the 1,140 people that have died in the worst flooding in Pakistan's history. Nearly one-third of the country soon will be covered in water. 3.1 million people had to leave their homes. It's just they just they get rains upon rain upon rain, and the floods has been have been outrageous. One hundred four seventy nine hundred. Listen to this for a minute. There has been an average temperature of one hundred and four degrees for seventy straight days, affecting nine hundred million people in China. Now, I I defy you to think of a worse kind of environmental kind of weather-related disaster than that. That is the worst heat wave maybe in the Earth's history. 900 million people are under this heat wave. 104 degrees has been the average. The Yangtze River is the lowest that has been since the 1800s. Factories are closed. And even if you're not concerned about the humanity, this is adding to many of the supply chain problems. We have so 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 many parts and so many goods that we get from China have to come via their rivers. They, they go from the factories onto the rivers, and then they get to the ports, and those rivers are drying up. But more, more devastatingly, people are dying. And if you think that weather phenomenon are just something in South Asia and just something in Asia Central, well, 17 is our last number of the week. This is the driest August in 17 years on Long Island. All of Long Island is now officially in a designated drought condition the driest August in 17 years. So on this on this Labor Day weekend, there's some really troubling weather news. Now, I'm not calling that climate news. You know, you know, I'm careful not to do that because nobody knows. But these types of weather phenomenon, these troubling weather things, have been happening much more than they ever did before. So, what's being done about it? Well, people have ideas, but you might have heard on Steve Moore's show just before me. One of the things is that California, which, by the way, has the fourth largest economy in the world. I mean, California is not just some town. They have passed legislation that says that 2035 is going to be the last year in that state you will be able to buy a combustion automobile, meaning you'll have to go entirely electric there on out. And I started looking into this issue. Partially, you know, Steve Moore mentions it a lot in his show. I've been interested in this issue for a while. I kibitz a little bit professionally for a company that installs um, – uh, charging stations, not anywhere near here, out in the Midwest. And I have become convinced that this is an amazing development, that the coming of the electric car is going to be a really great thing for the country and really great thing on so many levels that I haven't even thought of. Now, I started doing a little reading about this. I'm not cons- I'm not an expert, but here's some of the stuff that, that, that I, I learned. First of all, not a lot of people have them. Only about 3% of the sales in the United States are electric cars. But globally... And even in the United States, it's rising. It's been it's up 103 percent globally in 2021. Now, remember, you started a very small base. Getting 100 percent increase isn't that great a thing. But think about what will be happening. I mean, tailpipe emissions that come out of our cars are probably the number one way we, as individuals, contribute to global climate change. And re- and not only that, we also contribute to asthma. We contribute to so many that when we emit carbon monoxide, nitrogen oxide, particulate matter, all the things that come out of a combustion engine. It's bad for all the diseases that, all the heart diseases, all the asthma, all the things. So, so electric cars, more we use that, the better. Um, they make a ton of noise. The number one three one one complaint that we get here in the city is about noise, and a lot of it's about cars. They're way more efficient in that 
the energy that you get in a combustion engine, about 60% of it goes to moving the car. The rest gets kind of wasted in all kinds of different ways, including, you know, the energy that comes out the muffler, the energy that goes to turn the thing that turns to the other thing that turns the other thing. That's wasted energy, phys- uh, f- physics majors would tell us. Combustion cars um, that only uh, – that, uh, that the, the – the, um, that the energy that goes to, to to moving the car is is in the ninety percent range, meaning the more energy that you're you're, you're using, you're using it to move the car. It's it's lower maintenance. They have fewer parts. It's much cheaper to run. I saw a call came in earlier about this. For forty three miles, it costs you you get it forty three miles for one dollar in an electric car. With gas at four dollars, it's six miles. Um, so. Those are some of the good things. I'm going to talk a little about some of the bad things on the other side. And also hear what you have to say, 800-848-9222, 800-848-WABC. It's so, great. it's so great to have you along here on The Middle at 3 o'clock, Left versus Right with Curtis Lewa. On the other side, we'll talk more about electric cars and whether they're the answer to all of our problems. Radio 77, WABC. Finding new ways to make change. Reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. Back to the middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. Every Saturday, 2 to 3, that was Fine Young Cannibals bringing us in. They're going to be doing the music for our bumps today. Uh, Fine Young Cannibals, they were kind of remnants of the English beat in the 80s with a front man called Roland Gift, who was really charismatic, obviously has that great voice. And that song, Good Thing, was featured briefly in a movie um, by Barry Levinson called Tin Man. And Tin Man, if you remember, there was Diner. Barry Levinson, with all these shows that were owed to Baltimore, I say Baltimore because that's the way they say it, Diner was this show about the young people growing up there in Baltimore. And then there is a scene, a rather famous scene in this diner there, that for which the movie is named after. It's called Diner. But the way the second movie is, is if you go into that same diner and go not left but go right, it's this group of guys that sell aluminum siding for houses, and they're called Tin Men. And um, it's, it's, it's their story. Danny DeVito is in it, and, another, and Richard Dreyfus. And uh, there's a scene where they're in a bar, and Roland Gift and Fine Young Cannibals is performing that song. Um, and they're going to be providing the music uh, today. That's probably a little bit more than you needed to know about Fine Young Cannibals. 800-848-9222, 800-848-WABC. So we're talking about electric cars. Now, I'm smitten. But I do want to hear your thoughts about it. I want to give you a little bit more, like just make the whole case. I said that they don't pollute. I said they don't make a lot of noise. They're much lower maintenance because there are very fewer parts. Combustion engines have a lot of parts. By the way, at the, at the birth of the automobile, there were combustion engines, there were steam engines, and there were electric engines. At hundreds of years ago, you know, the thing that has made this different is that we kind of gravitated towards combustion engines um, – it's not really clear because steam engines actually provided a lot more pump and that uh, uh, and that at the time people were used to steam engines because of trains. But we've had electric vehicles around for a very long time, but it's only because the battery technology has gotten a lot better. And also it's not being marketed the way the original electric vehicles were. You know, Tesla showed us that you can get an enormous amount of power. And one of the reasons you get that much power is if you think about the sound a car makes when it goes between gears, if you remember to stick shift, we'll go like that. Well, if you have an electric battery and a computer, you can fill in the spaces between the gear and provide extra energy when the thing is downshifting to kind of have consistent acceleration. It's a lot. of Anyway, it's lower maintenance, these cars. Electricity is much, much cheaper. One kilowatt hour of electricity in May 2022, is 15 cents. In May 2011, 10 years ago, it was 12 cents. So it's up, but not up the same way that gas prices are. It's been fairly consistent. And like I said, you get about 43 miles for $1 of electricity. That's a long way. That's a heck of a lot better. You only get six miles for a dollar's worth of gas when gas is at $4, um, when $4 a gallon. So it's much 
cheaper. And by the way, I, I heard on the previous program some people said, oh, it's free. It's free. No, you get charged for it. You, you, you have a, an app on your phone. When you go charge, you get charged for it. But it's much cheaper because it's electricity. And for those of you who are like, oh, my God, it's government forcing us what to do. Uh-uh, the car companies love EVs. Ford, 40% of their electric vehicle, uh, of their whole line is going to be electric vehicles by 2030. VW stopped selling gas cars in Europe in 2033. Audi is only going to sell electric, their higher end, only going to sell electric vehicles after 2026. And for those of you who say, oh, my God, it's government this and government that, no, it's just industrial policy. Do we believe in buying American? Do we believe that? Well, GM is building new battery plants in Ohio, a new battery plant in Tennessee, and a new battery plant in Michigan. VW is making all of its EVs. Not all of them. All the ones being sold domestically, starting in, they start in July in Tennessee. And if you think that this is government doing something, Ford has a wait list for its F-150 of 200,000 people waiting for its electric F-150. GM has a wait list of 150,000 for its Silverado. And by the way, Silverado's F-150s, they're not urban urban. Dandelions, what do you guys, butterfly, what, what, is, what do they always call us? Uh, um, Diego, what am I thinking of when they say that we're very fragile? What do they say we are? Snowflakes, that's right. You know, who, we, we needed, we needed uh, a drudge to come in and tell us it's snowflakes. Yeah, it, these people who are driving F-150s and Silverados, this is red America. I mean, electric vehicles, they know how expensive it is to fill up a car. And and then people say, well, what about the materials for the batteries? Don't they come from, like, really bad places? Totally, they do. They come from the Republic of Congo and other places. But that's changing. VW and Mercedes just did a big deal to develop mines in, wait for it, Canada. I mean, Canada, they're not bad guys. I mean, they're, they, they gave, you know, they're completely benign. I mean, they're, they're so polite and everything else. We don't mind stuff that comes from Canada. And, yes, mining is going to bring up its own problems, no doubt about it. But remember that, that Canada has abundant reserves. Oh, by the way, you know who else has reserves of these, of these things, like, like um, nickel? Minnesota, the United Republic of Minnesota. So it, it is, it, we're making a decision about where we want to get these things from. And the difference is that in all of the possible scenarios, there's no way we're ever going to get gasoline or oil from a free source like the sun or the wind. There's no that's never going to happen. And maybe it doesn't happen tomorrow. Now it's just a mix, but it's already a mix in how we get our electricity. It already is. You don't have to do a single thing even if it stopped today. I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example just so you can understand. Let's assume you drive your car 12,000 miles a year, which is, you know, kind of average. If you have a a combustion car, You drive it 12,000 miles, the average car, you're putting 11,000 pounds of CO2 into the air. Now, I don't know what that's a lot or a little, but I do know that right now, if you're plugged into the grid today, it's only 4,000 pounds because so much of the electric grid we get from renewables. We get it from mixes of coal and nuclear wind and these other things. Um, And there's a a chance in the future, I mean, it's going to happen, every utility company, not some, every single one is investing more and more in having their uh, electricity come from renewables. That's the marketplace working. That's capitalism working. And people say, oh, my God, you're forcing this or communist that. No, it's the marketplace is saying when we're paying a lot for gasoline that comes from a foreign source or even if it comes from our own land, but it creates environmental hazards that lead to asthma, that leads to heart disease, that leads to all of these other problems – isn't the capitalist thing to do is to say, let's try to find other alternatives. And so there, now there's a new law. If you think, oh, this doesn't affect me because these cars are too expensive. They are. They're very expensive. Um, I think I had an example here. I don't know what I did with it. Ba- basically, the, the Mustang version of what is going to be the Ford Escape is probably the analogy, is $15,000 more than that Ford Escape would be. So, but that's going to change also. You know why? The marketplace. You know, the government isn't going out and saying, saying build the cars. We're giving incentives to people to say, if you're going to go out and buy a car, here's going to make it easier for this. This is called what they used to call back in the day when we wrote textbooks, industrial policy. Just like make it in America is an industrial policy. Buy American, that's an industrial policy. So now there's this new law that says we're going to give you a $7,500 tax credit to buy an electric car. 
4000 to get a used car, but only cars that are less than 55 grand and trucks that are less than 80 grand. That still may sound high, but the idea is being not the Teslas, not the, the Rivians, not the fancy ones, not the Porsches. Only cars that are made in North America. So no Hyundai, no Porsche, no Toyota, no Kia. Again, buy America. This is just a saying. You don't have to get it, but if you do, there's no, there's no stick in this, just carrots. But if you're going to do it, buy America. And, and as part of the law, they're going to stage this in that you can only use the tax credit for materials found here or partners that we have trade deals with. And also, we're not going to give you the tax credit if you're wealthy already, if you make over $150,000. So what are we doing? What government is doing in this case is saying we want to incentivize you to buy a good American product that all these manufacturers want to sell us. That is good for us. I mean, I understand that it's become this thing. The environment is something that we fight about. Oh, global warming, we believe it. We don't, we don't believe it. Let's put that aside for the moment. And by the way, if you want to get in on the calls, 800-848-9222, 800-848-WABC. Ryan will get you up on the board. The board's pretty full. People are animated by this. But let's put the global climate change part aside for a minute. Which, by the way, is silly. It's an electric vehicle. It's very good for the climate as opposed to tail. I mean, but let's put that aside for a moment. Let's not have an argument where, where the global climate change is real. If you can't go online and do the research yourself, uh, look, I, I can't help you at this point. And, and I don't want it. And this is about the middle. And I think the broad middle in this country believes that's a problem. But put that aside for a moment. Simply as an economic thing, offering incentives to, to, for this whole brand new industry. Now, there are going to be winners and losers. If, if you're drilling oil, you're a loser. If you're if you're mining for nickel, you're probably a winner. If you are a car dealer, you're doing you probably like it because people are going to be switching over. But if you are a car repairman, you're probably not going to like it as much. There's not enough, not as many parts to repair. And by the way, a lot of dealerships are complaining to the manufacturers: "You're going too fast into electric. We're losing too." Because car dealerships make a lot of their money. Not on the sales, but on the repairs, and there are fewer repairs for these cars. Not universally, by the way. It apparently goes through tires faster, but that, again, you can tell I've been reading about this all weekend. That's what my life is like. See, see Diego, this is what I do. I sit and I read about electric vehicles in preparation for the show. This is both the upside and downside of having only a once-a-week show. But the point is that this is a good American industry. So when people talk about the Green New Deal, and I know it's, a dirty, it's dirty, and it's a dirty language. People don't like it and whatever, and it gets people all fired up. But the, the, the philosophy is that if you are cre- – if a new industry gets created, and in this case, let's call it the electric vehicle industry, gets created, that's a lot of economic activity. Like the cell phone industry or the laptop industry or, you know, these things that change our lives that become absolutely normal in our lives, that's an industry. And the combination of technology – and everything else that goes into these cars, I think, is an opportunity for us to really create a lot of jobs. So that's my pitch on why. Now, now I said there are negatives about it. I mentioned a lot of these ingredients that we get, we get from countries that we probably should not be doing business with, like the Republic of the Congo. And But even that, in the new law that they just passed, when they said that we you only get this tax credit, if, if if they're made with materials that are found here or partners that we have, meaning no China, no Congo, et cetera. Now, um, uh, uh, and and so so people might say, well, well, isn't that? Aren't you putting rules? No. What's going to happen? Here's what's going to happen: seventy five hundred dollar tax credit. You're ready to get your next car. You start to look at electric cars. You're holding this tax credit in your hand. You call up the dealer. And you say, what's eligible? By the way, you can do this right now on the Department of Energy website. What's eligible using this $7,500 tax credit? And you're going to shop for certain types of cars, and you're going to be say, if you want to use that, you've got to buy American. You've got to buy this type of car. And one more thing, one more thing. We make changes all the time that people say are going to be the end of the world. We got rid of lead and gasoline because of the harm that it was doing to our environment and to our health. We got rid of it. Everyone complained, oh, it's government overreach, government, this government. It's, we're fine, right? We survived that. <laughs> we put regulations all the time into, into the safety requirements that we have to have in our car. You know, the audacity of telling us to wear a seatbelt. All right, all right, we got used to it. So I think these types, this type of industrial policy where it's government saying, you know what? We're not going to say, we're not going to hit you 
But we are going to say, here's the incentives we want you to follow. We want you we want you to buy American. We want you to invest in this thing that's good for our environment, good for our kids, good for the world, et cetera, et cetera. We want to rely less on foreign sources of oil, less on even domestic sources of oil. It's going to go away eventually. We don't want to go through any more of these. Summer. I told you what the inflation rate for, for a kilowatt hour of electricity was from 2011 to 2022. It went from 12 cents a kilowatt hour to 15 cents a kilowatt hour. All right? So that's... That's my pitch. Now, am I overly enthusiastic about it? It wasn't long ago that that I was that I got a, a four by four. You know, I take Jordan to play hockey a lot, and I looked in this, and the cars were too expensive and too fancy. I couldn't afford them. But it's not always going to be that way. You know why? Because capitalism works. More demand, the more customers come in the door, the lower the price becomes, and we gradually transform the marketplace, and that, in this case, would be a good thing. A lot of people on the board say that they disagree. A lot of people say that they agree. The board is full, but we want you involved. 800-848-9222. And Finding Cannibals takes us out. See you on the other side. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. 77 WABC. And welcome back to the middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. Fine Young Cannibals bring us back in. Suspicious Minds, the opening, that opening guitar or piano of Suspicious Minds, one of the most iconic in all of music. By the way, if you're expecting to hear She Drives Me Crazy by Fine Young Cannibals, you're not going to hear it. That song stinks. Um, Finding Cannibals is one of those bands that their most famous song was one of their worst. So we're talking about electric vehicles, 800-848-9222, 800-848-WABC. Bring you up to 3 o'clock, then left versus right with Curtis. Curtis is going to come in, and we are going to talk about uh, Skateboard Gate and our, what are we going to call it, our cavalry that we're putting together to invade Philadelphia to get our revenge. We'll explain that at 3 o'clock. Uh, now we're doing electric vehicles. A lot of folks on the board, and I really appreciate you holding on. Eric in Queens. Eric, thank you so much for waiting. Hi, Anthony. Nice to talk to you again. We've spoken once before in the past. Um, my, my pleasure, Eric. So Welcome I'm back. A, I'm a local guy, um, and I, I also have a residence in Fairfield, Connecticut. Um, so I'm back and forth between the suburbs and the city. And as much as it makes sense for electric vehicles to be used in our cities, just being a Queens guy, being surrounded by, you know, six-plus-story buildings everywhere, I don't see it being feasible right now. And that being said, just the other day, my, my buddy and myself went to a Ford dealer to check out the new pickup truck. Ford does not want the dealer selling these things. You have to go directly to Ford. And they had one on the lot. The salesman didn't even get up. He hit the remote control. He said, go ahead, take a look inside. Can't test drive it. And, oh, by the way, if you want to order one, you have to wait a year. And, oh, by the way, the only ones available are the $75,000 versions, not the $40,000 versions. Um, That's one issue. Another issue is scientific reports about the the rubber on the vehicle, you know, the tires creating toxins in the air, which they do now. But these electric vehicles weigh a hell of a lot more than regular cars do. Um, I don't know how significant these toxins in the air are coming from the tires, but they do give off some kind of toxins. So um, those those are good. Well, Eric, I appreciate it. So that, those, those are two good issues that you put on the table, and I think one I addressed and the second one I, I didn't, but thank you so much for going. So there's no doubt about it. The dealers of these cars are very ambivalent about selling them because of what it means for their business model, and that's right. They, I mean, the business model is – Basically, they provide the financing, turn over the car, and then make money on the service and on the resale. And when you have cars like this, they don't have many service needs. And so it is a threat. And is it a threat to that model? And I get it. Um, But why do we care? The market will work that out. I mean, Tesla has shown a market that I've been skeptical of, and I've written that I'm skeptical of it, of going direct to consumer. You don't even need to have a dealer. 
If you have fewer repairs, why do you even need to have a dealership? Just have the thing delivered to you directly. Order it online, have it delivered directly. You need service. You have someone come and pick it up and leave you a loaner and you're done. The second part I'm not sure I've heard before. I know that the battery packs are very heavy, but a combustion engine has a lot of parts that an electric vehicle doesn't have. But, yeah, these are things that the marketplace might work out. It is not, not that much different than looking at, uh, than, than, than l- watching the movie Wall Street and looking at them walking around with those big clunky phones. Yeah, that didn't fit very well into a hip pocket, and things got worked out. The marketplace, uh, the, the marketplace uh, um, worked it out. Uh, Hank in New Jersey. Hank, you're ready to go on the middle. Hi, Anthony. Hi, Hank. Um, I've um, had a Tesla since 2011. And uh, I'm on my third vehicle right now. When I hit 50,000 miles on it, I uh, sell it and trade in for another one uh, because I don't want to be out of warranty, uh, not knowing what the battery life is. Right. But my point is that this was a vehicle, originally it was an $80,000 vehicle. I could well afford to pay the $80,000, uh, but I took advantage of $7,500 that was given uh, by the government the state of New Jersey was generous enough to have the taxpayers forgive me paying any sales tax on this vehicle. And I've been driving on our roads without paying a, a dollar for any gasoline for 11 years, which means I'm riding free on the roads. And who's going to repair them if I continue to drive and everyone else have an electric vehicle? How are the road taxes going to sustain that? That's a great That's a great question. Hank, you touched on something that I had left out of all of this, and it's really important. Um, and that is that the way we maintain our roads and our mass transit, by the way, is through the gas tax. And if you're not paying gas, you're not paying tax. Well, that's going to be replaced by some form of a usage fee. It's going to be re- replaced with some kind kind of a fee. I believe there's language, was language in the infrastructure bill about this. But, yeah, I mean, electric vehicle operators or, or owners are going to have to pay some kind of a fee, whether it's a fee that they pay on their electric bill or a fee that they pay at the toll booth or something. Um, but it is going to have to be replaced if we're going to use that kind of user model to replace the um, to replace the 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 gas tax revenue, you're right that to, we're going to have to catch up in a way. If when we stop using as much gasoline, we're going to have to catch up in a way. There 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 isn't a, a doubt about that. Uh, Robert in Pennsylvania, thanks for joining the middle today. Yeah, hi, uh, how you doing? Uh, I'm just calling about the uh, a number of things. Uh, I'll make it uh, quick though. Uh, I have a technology that burns fossil fuel 100 percent. Okay. I also uh, want to comment on what electric vehicles do. They produce what is called gauss. That's pollution that comes off the batteries. And that's a serious problem. And nobody really talks about that. And I had also spoken with one of the big companies about this, and they're not doing anything about gauss, okay, because I I believe they don't know what to do. Yeah, no, Robert. I appreciate the call. You, you're you're wrong about the first thing. There's no such thing as combustion without some byproduct. But the 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 the, the that there's some byproduct that not only is emitted by the battery, perhaps, but also there is some pollution that comes when you do any type of mining for the things in it. It, it, it is. Don't get me wrong. This is not a zero impact thing. But the thing that provide the most, we as individuals, the thing that we produce. That pro- the thing that we do that produces the most problems in the environment as individuals is drive our combustion cars. And that comes from tailpipe emissions. And there are no tailpipe emissions in electric vehicles because they don't even have um, tailpipes. Uh, Jimmy in Tampa, Florida. Jimmy, how are you today? Hey, Anthony. How you doing? Uh, I really enjoy your show. You know, I'm a independent slash conservative, but uh, I love uh, listening to you. Thank you, sir. Um, yeah, my question was, uh, um, things I hear is, how are we going to produce all this electricity when everyone has these uh, electric vehicles? And is that going to be good for the, mar- the environment? Well, it's a good question. I mean, look, we are tra- what we're doing is we're moving from one energy source to another energy source. But the, the electricity part of it is we have to – we're upgrading our grid as we go. That's happening. For example, as as we speak, both in Tampa, Florida, Brooklyn, New York, everywhere in between, every energy company, every major energy company and most of the smaller ones are producing more and more of their energy from renewables because that's what the marketplace is asking for and because they're doing it because the tech, it makes good economic sense for them to be doing it. And so 
there's going to be capacity challenges to our environment one way or the other. But I'll tell you something else. If we don't do something about the global climate change and we keep increasing the temperature of the earth, that creates electric demand even five times what any car would. When we're trying to change our whole environment by air conditioning, it is much more energy inefficient than powering an automobile, for example. So a lot of this is figuring out not whether we use energy, but how and how much. And the how hopefully will be, look, if we ever get to a place that we're providing all of our electricity by wind or solar, we're not there yet. We're getting more of it all the time. If we ever get to that place, we all benefit. Think of the difference. It's the whole adage of teach a man to, to, to you give a man a fish, he eats for a day. Teach a man to fish, he, he eats for a lifetime. Imagine if the source of our energy is not going digging into the ground for something or not going to the Saudis and asking them for it and paying them for it, but just doing, just collecting it from that ball of flame 93 million miles away from us. I mean, just, you know, it, so that type of investment helps us. Now, I've heard people say, oh, well, we're not ready there. These people are going to pull the energy out from under us. No, I'm just saying that's the direction our economy should be going. And I don't think anyone can disagree with that. If if anyone who calls in today could snap their fingers and say we get our energy from a better source, they would clearly do it. Then the logical extension of that is then let's keep progressing in that direction of our dream. That's the point. And when it comes to this, I am a capitalist. I keep telling you guys this. I believe in the idea that capitalism produces these types of solutions. If someone says there's going to be a greater demand for electricity or a greater demand for electric uh, charging stations in the coming years, I'm going to go into that business to make me some money. That's the way capitalism solves these problems. But government can also give it a push. That's why it's called industrial policy. So that's what I believe. When we get back, I'm going to switch gears slightly because I want to talk about this race that happened in Alaska and what it might mean to all of us and whether it was a success. Find you on Cannibals, me, you on the middle, and I'll see you on the other side. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner, 77 WABC. Welcome back to The Middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. Every Saturday from 2 to 3, it's available as a podcast immediately after the show. It goes up as a podcast. You can get it anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, and then at 3 o'clock, Left versus Right with Curtis Slewa, the head of the Guardian Angels. We're going to have some fun with some of the issues in the news. Sometimes it's left. Sometimes it's right. Sometimes it's just talking about New York common sense. Diego helping out on the other side. Ryan taking your calls. And we're, we're talking a little bit about electric vehicles, and uh, I want to switch up a little bit, talk about this race that happened in Alaska, and you might say to yourself, well, why should we even care? But I just got a text from my friend Kitty saying, I love the music. I said, yeah, what do you think of the show? She says, all this stuff about being a capitalist makes me sick. So I do have some communist, socialist friends. But so in Alaska, they did this thing called ranked choice voting. New York City residents might be familiar with this because we tried this. We tried it. We've been using it. I guess the, the last mayor election was the first time. And it says, rather than just voting for the individual person saying, I want this person, you choose first choice, second choice, third choice, fourth choice. And then if no one gets 50 percent, the last person, the person who got the fewest votes dropped off and any of their second place votes get reallocated, et cetera. So in Alaska, what wound up happening is there was a Democrat, this woman named Mary Pelota, who, by the way, she, she's the first native Alaskan ever to go to Congress. I'm giving away the end of the story because she won the race. But she's a Democrat. She was running against Sarah Palin and Mark Bailich, two Republicans. One, a very well-known one, Sarah Palin, but very unpopular. She had like 65% negatives. If you remember, she quit the governor's race. She quit being governor, moved out of the out of the state, moved to Arizona, went on America's sing, uh, masked singer, something uh, uh, that um, that our friend Rudy Giuliani went on. And she basically turned her back on the state. She's got very high negatives. And Mark Bailich. So after the first round of voting where they eliminate everyone but the top four, the fourth place guy drops out. And Mayor Pelota uh, was leading Sarah Palin. She came in first. Sarah Palin was the second guy. Mark Bailich came in third. So when Mark Bailich, he's a Republican, but when um, he not all of his second place votes went to Sarah Palin because she's so unpopular that it wound up that when his second place votes were allocated – 
Mayor Pelota wound up winning. The Democrat wound up winning, despite the fact that if you add up the two Republican candidates, they had more votes than her. So some Republican national figures have said, oh, this is a fix was in. Well, first of all, the people of Alaska really like this system, and it's their system. But you can argue that that was not a flaw, that that was the way this is supposed to work. And some interesting things happened in this race that are worth noting. One, it wasn't a very negative race in the partisan sense in that Palin and Bailich both knew that whoever came in second, they wanted to come in second so that they would have a chance to kind of go have their go head to head with the with the Democrat, at least in the count. So they didn't attack the Democrat, but they attacked each other. And generally speaking, it was not a very negative race. And that's one of the things that I like about about ranked choice voting is you don't attack your opponent because you want their supporters to put you on their ballot as second or third. The second thing that is interesting about what wound up happening with, with, with this race is that although you can say, well, the Democrats really overperformed, no, it was really more about the candidates than the party. Like people say, oh, this was a huge win for Democrats. Well, obviously it was. You get a Democrat in Alaska. We haven't represented that state in, I think, since 2008. But it, it shows that what matters is more the individual person. And we've had races here in New York where you wonder if they had ranked choice voting, how they might have changed. For example, in New York 10, where there were three or four progressive candidates and one who was seen as more centrist, if people could allocate their second place votes, might it have done a better job representing the true desires of this of the district, and in this case, the state? I think it might mean that things will be less partisan if you run types of these races in the future. Now, only Alaska and Maine do it this way for congressional seats, but a lot more places are experimenting. And we're going to be doing an episode of Keys to the City, my podcast about this, how it's working in New York City and what we can learn about what's going on around the country. But one of the central themes of this program, as you know, we call it the middle, is to try to figure out a way to turn down the, the, the megaphone that the far right and the far left seem to have in our political debates. And it does seem that ranked choice voting has a tendency to do that. So what did it do in New York City? Well, it's fascinating what it did in New York City. It it did seem that it created the a ballot push that became one candidate became kind of the left. In that case, it was Maya Wiley. And one candidate's more the central became became Eric Adams. Um, but it did require that candidates made certain calculations. For example, I want to say Catherine Garcia and Yang did some joint events together to say that, hey, we're common sense. People vote for one of us. I just think that if you believe that we've become too partisan and that the middle has lost its voice, this type of ranked choice voting gives you a chance to kind of maybe find candidates that become more centrist candidates. And look at what happened in Alaska as an example of one other thing. You had Mary Pelota, a Democrat, against a hard right Republican in Sarah Palin that came in second. Well, Mark Balich who was the third, was not, she's still a very traditional conservative Republican, but less stridently so. Um, Many of his supporters, although they were Republicans, gave their second votes to the Democrat. And maybe that's something that Republicans nationwide are learning as we look at some of these Senate races around the country, that when you put your most strident candidate as your nominee, after you get past the primary, you run into trouble. Look at the problem that Democrats are having in Pennsylvania, in Arizona, in uh, um, in Wisconsin. Their nominees are they are won the Trump primary basically. They got Trump support. They are they're 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 Trump kind of candidates. You have a candidate for attorney general, the guy who does who who decides um, whether uh, um, to who certifies elections to say he's going to go back if he's elected and decertify the election from two years ago. You can, there's not even a that's not about a thing. You can't even do that. Um, the point I'm making is that maybe if we chose our nominees or we chose our candidates through this system, it will put more premium on people thinking, huh, not just as what my party want, but what does the whole electorate want? And might that get us to a place where programs like the middle become much more normal and programs like AOC and and uh, Green on the right become much they, – they lose their voice? Because let's take those two people as an example. If you were running a ranked choice election like they did in Alaska, 
Would you want to have AOC come in for your candidate? Probably not. Would you want to have Green, Taylor Green, or even Donald Trump come in for your candidate? Probably not. But if you're running in primaries, you'd say yes, yes, because you'd say, I want to appeal to my left, so I'm, I want AOC coming in, and I want to appeal, if you're a Republican, say, I want to appeal to my right, so I want Donald Trump coming in. This system says, no, we don't want either one of those people. We want people who are who are interested in, in this district and how we're going to solve its problems, et cetera, et cetera. We want to speak to all voters and not turn off anybody. And that's why ranked choice voting may wind up working. But it's relatively new. Someone could also look at these results and say, wait a minute, you're saying that the Republican candidates got 60 percent, the Democratic candidate got 40 percent, and the Democrats going to Congress? That doesn't make sense. Well, that's if you care about party more than the individual candidate. Yeah, you might say that. I, for one, who am a partisan Democrat, I think I'm prepared to take my chances. I'm prepared to say, look, let's try this method out, see if it's it's succeeding. And so far, it kind of has. It's been it's created a less extreme, an extreme candidate. And we'll see this woman now, Mayor Pelosi, she's going to have to run again. She's going to have to hold the seat. That's not no guarantee. And Alaska, you know, I know you might be screaming through 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 the radio saying, well, Alaska is not because that's not a typical red state. It's true. It has a very independent kind of streak. It has an unusual kind of uh, underpinning in terms of future, uh, the the past of being represented by Democrat and Republican. It's got Lisa Murkowski who doesn't get along with Donald Trump. It is an unusual state. But I think it might be the kind of state that we have something to learn from. And on that note, on Labor Day weekend, I've learned a great deal from from listening to your calls. I've been uh, having this conversation. I really appreciate how you let me into your home every weekend from 2 to 3 on the middle. I look forward to coming back next week. Have a great week. Celebrate all the people that work in your life. Labor Day weekend. Labor Day is tomorrow. And on the other side of the break, we'll be joined by Curtis Lewa for Left versus Right. Thank you so much. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.